Hey, fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well for all you racket fans and fans of legendary brands. I have an interesting guest today, Nick Mitchell, who's the promotions manager for Fulkel. Uh, that's the way you pronounce it in German, I would guess, but Fulkel, we, we say here. And uh, I'm very happy to have Nick here, who's going to talk a bit about the, the new rackets from Fulkel and what racket might suit you and so on. So I hope you're curious about this brand and uh, about what Nick has to say. So uh, thanks, Nick, for joining me. No, thank you for having me. It's much appreciated. So how long have you been in the tennis industry? I mean, you're a player from the start? A long time. Uh, so I essentially started playing tennis when I was about four or five, uh, even sooner, and uh, grew up in the tennis world. So I grew up in D.C. and played tennis as much as I can, played on the local circuits there, and essentially realized when I got to about age 12, that the training I was getting was not was not going to get me to the places I wanted to be. You know, we all watch we all watch uh, Federer on TV, and we all have dreams of playing at Wimbledon and whatnot. So for me, it was where do I go to get the best training? So at twelve, I moved out to California, went to a great tennis academy, and essentially trained nonstop until the ages. 16 there, I was able to get up to top 10 in Southern California, I think top 50 in the nation, and then went down to Voluntary for my junior and senior year. I had a great time training there and was lucky enough to go to San Diego State University to play college tennis. And um, it was just, I've, so I've been in the tennis world in that sense as a player for, you know, probably 15 years. And then now I'm transitioning and getting into the status tennis with uh, vocal. Cool. Uh, so from Washington, D.C. Yep, nice. Washington, D.C. Cool. I yeah, used to live there so... in 2001, too. So. <laughs> oh, really? What yeah. part? Hey, Arlington. I, I was actually working for, um, for a news station there. I was in the White House for a bit in a Congress uh, as a reporter, as a junior reporter, uh, which That's was me. part of my kind of university degree journalism degree so uh yeah i love dc I have a special place in my my heart so I was, when people mention it i always have to to, to ask uh, where about you living in, in dc so i grew up in bethesda and then uh lived over in uh capitol hill southeast basically right down the street from the capitol building yeah yeah yeah. i know those areas well right yeah. that's cool and and, they also uh, like, and yeah. also journalism degree right here so we're glad oh, we wow. got that going for us <laughs> that's good that's good. It helps with to understand the the loads of tennis rackets and gear that's happening every year. <laughs> it's it's good to have some very kind much of so being able to to uh, to go through all the information that's coming at you. So so why what made you quit tennis? Was it just like a realization that like making it to the pro tour is tough, or you just wanted to move into another area? So essentially, and it was tough because I graduated in 2020. So it was, all right, we're, we're performing well. We're happy where the game's at. Let's transition to pro. And then boom, world shuts down. And especially out here in California, you know, with the rules, is a little bit tough. I remember, I remember the cops kicking me off of uh, tennis courts and whatnot. So, you know, I, I also think that some people capitalized on that and some people didn't. And unfortunately, I don't think I... Uh, how do I, say this? I don't think I capitalized on that time as much as I could have and played too much golf, got into golf a little bit, 
was taking care of the family. You know, everyone came back. And uh, so I think it was a year, a year out. And I had come, I'd moved back to DC, was teaching a little bit, needed to make some money and uh, was still training full time, trying to do, you know, that four hour of teaching and then, you know, that four hour of training and try to get everything back up to speed. Uh, was lucky enough. And this is where my journey kind of comes into vocal. Some guy uh, was playing with an old C10 Pro out on the court. And I, I, I looked at it, I was like, thin frame, nice weight. Like, this is something I can get behind. And so I started playing with them and luckily reached out and told uh, a local store what I was planning on doing when I was, I was playing. Some, I was going to try to play some futures. I was playing that UTR circuit. Uh, trying to get back up speed and uh, luckily got a little deal with them. Long story short to answer your question though is, you know, I, I think I realized two things. One, the future circuit has changed drastically since COVID. The amount of players that are coming into that. I remember being in high school and you would get into the qualifiers for futures just by signing up almost. You know, of course you had to have some ranking. But now I, I remember seeing uh, Donald Young in the qualifiers. You know, it, what a name, which says something else. But it's just you have 300 to 700 in the futures and sometimes like a 750 guy in the qualifiers for a 15K future. So I realized that this was going to take many years longer to build that up. And it just, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. I wanted to achieve my other goals. And so luckily enough, uh, I was actually heading to Europe to play my last, not last, but to go kind of give it one last hurrah to say. And I met with the general manager of our company up in uh, New York at the US Open, had a great conversation. And uh, now I'm here, the rest is history. Cool. That's, that's great. I mean, then you're still pretty young, so you can always change your mind if you if you want. But as you pointed out, I mean, I think the, the people don't realize how difficult it is. I mean, some future tournaments, you can maybe go to like Tunisia or somewhere like a little bit remote and qualifiers are not as rough as they are. But if you go to anywhere easier to get to, let's say, it's going to be packed. Like the, the, the level you need to win qualifying matches in futures, it's really, really high. So I think that that makes sense in terms, and I, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are pros, ex-pros, and it's it's all about how heavy the grind is, like how difficult it is to get into the tour. And if you don't have any kind of financial backing from a company or your parents or someone like a big sponsor or, or benefactor, I think it's very tough. Uh, so I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the C10 Pro, and I think that is the the legend in the the lineup you have in terms of rackets um is that what you're using currently or do you have other rackets that you're you know you enjoy in the lineup of rackets when i was competing the c10 pro was my choice and you know that's something i'd love to talk with you about was after going through our lineup i've realized that you know maybe that wasn't the best racket for me and it's choosing not always what feels best but what performs best uh, so now my two favorites and something I'm testing right now for some tournaments that I'll have playing up 
is the V8 Pro, which is one of our, I would say, player rackets as well. Uh, 305, I believe. I added some weight to that just to get it a little bit closer to that C10 Pro, but fantastic racket. And then also the V-Cell V1 Pro, which is just an absolute amazing racket. I uh, Very underrated, I, I believe, in our lineup. And a lot, especially for players and young players, I think it's very dynamic. So that's something I've been testing. And as I, you know, kind of play more casual events, it's, uh, it's something I'm looking forward to, to using. Yeah, I think what are, the balance, what are you using right now? Uh, who knows what I'm using? I, <laughs> I'm playing a, an ITF tournament for the seniors um, above 30 tomorrow, but it's been raining so much. So it's not, I mean, the match is not going to happen for sure. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I gave myself a deadline until the end of December to figure out what I'm going to play with next year, but uh, we'll see if that works out for me. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> the same conundrum as, as you said, which I thought was interesting, is that uh, it's very easy to optimize for feel because you have these old school rackets such as the C10 Pro that feel and they play great, but they're quite heavy and not so forgiving always. I mean, I would say the C10 Pro is more forgiving than some rackets of the similar age in terms of like the mold and, and, and the layup and so on. But it's still like a pretty heavy racket. Like unless you're a very advanced player who can handle the weight, I think it might not be the best choice. But now with all the you know new materials and new stuff coming in, different experiences, different experiments with molds and stuff, I think there are lighter frames that people with feel characteristics can use, I think. And I, I saw, which I haven't tested yet, but I saw that you were doing an Evo version of the C10 pro was, was that be something that you could for example use or or have you have you tried that one yeah it is actually uh so we just released our c10 evo it is a 16 by 19 at 10.7 i believe so it's essentially the same mold as the c10 pro we've just lowered that weight and it's a fantastic racket i really like it i will say that personally i think with that mold for the C10 Pro, I, I, it feels too light for me. But I do believe I'm glad that we did it because now for junior players, that intermediate player, there's a great frame that competes, feels just like those big, heavy kind of plastic frames. Yet they can use it, they can enjoy it, and they're going to be able to have a racket that lasts them through their progression. And that's something that I like to put people in is something that they can start out with, get a good feel for, and then progress through it and progress as their game progresses. So it's a great frame and uh, it's just, it hasn't been, been right for me, I would say. No, that, that's the thing today as well. Like you, the, what you need to figure out with everything, I guess, is there's so many good products generally out there, but you need to figure out if that's for you. Like if it's your playing style, what feels good with the grip? Like, is it forgiving enough? Is it controlled enough? All these things. Uh, you mentioned the V8 Pro, which is more of a modern frame, I would say, with the 100 square inch head and 16, 19. Pa- no, that's an 1820. That's quite interesting with that frame, actually. It's an 1820 pattern, uh, which is usually yeah. a quite a, a good compromise. Then you have like a 100 square inch head, not super thick beam. So this is like 22, 24 millimeter to 22. And 1820, so you get into that territory where it doesn't go all in like full power, uh, tough to control. It just stays within like a pretty manageable 
in power level terms and and still with 1820 actually you get some some decent directional control so that's that's an interesting spec that i think i mean generally with, with what i see with with specifications sometimes that people just copy each other like it's just the same spec over and over again so i'm always happy when i see people tweak a little bit like let's try a slightly different string pattern slightly different beam thickness and, and so on well exactly uh essentially that's what the, the thinking was behind that v8 was how can we give a more modern frame, but then have that 1820 where you get that launch and then you also get that directional control that you get with that 1820 string pattern. So that's been something that I've noticed as my games change a little bit where I might need a couple more things in the power section because I'm not training every day. I now, I still get that and I get that control with that 1820. So, I think that's one of our actually our most underrated frames. Uh, hope to be hope to be uh, sending you one, and I think, and that's also another thing that I like to talk about is having people open up a little bit more to what they're willing to try, what they're willing to demo. I think a lot of times in the tennis world, we get people that this is my racket, this is my string pattern, this is my spec, and that's it, and there's so much more out there, especially as we were just talking about. All these companies make great rackets. There's a lot of great products out on the market. However, oftentimes it's too much for people to choose from, so they get stuck in one. So it is finding that balance of, hey, here's a great brand that I trust, like Vocal, and here's what rackets we can work with for my game. And so for me, the V8 Pro is something that I like to give people or recommend because it challenges kind of their specs, but I often get good feedback. So I hope, I think we do that as well in a couple other frames, but the V8 Pro is, is one of my personal favorites to recommend. Yeah, it looks, it looks interesting. And I also agree with your point of view. Like, I mean, it, it is difficult to find your racket when there's almost too much choice. I mean, you're not the, the worst offender in terms of like offering millions of racket models. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but the, uh, many brands have, or several brands at least have many, many rackets to choose from. And like, they could be silos, meaning like your different lines. In your case, you have the V-Cell and the V-Feel and the, the classic rackets, the icons, I think you call them. While no more brands... V-Feel, sorry to interrupt. Sorry? Sorry to interrupt, no more V-Feel. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just, you're discontinuing yeah. the V feel. Oh, that's that's uh, mm -hmm. uh, that's something I I applaud because I was trying to figure out, like I always try to figure out. It's kind of my job these days, like to figure out what are the differences, who benefits from using this line of racket compared to the other line of rackets, and since they don't have this, like here's beginner rackets, here's intermediate rackets, and here's advanced rackets, because that might be too simplistic. <laughs> it's usually tough to just figure out because I think many racket models today try to be everything for everyone. And it's better to just say, hey, this is kind of a frame for this type of player who likes this type of feel. And then you go to the next type of player because there's not like hundreds of different types of player types. Uh, they're not that, that many. So I think there's something that could be, could be done there. So how was your reasoning behind discontinuing uh, the, the V-feel line? Well, like you talk about, we don't want to overcrowd our, our lineup. And then we also have our new technology, which is the V-Cell. So 
if you don't want to keep old technology, and you don't want to overcrowd your lineup, you move on to the next one and you kind of build those silos around that VCL, the VCL, sorry. And so that was the thinking behind that. So we have our one through 10. And also for the viewers at home, if you are interested, one of the things we do talk about and I think is great that we have up on our website is if you go to products, there is a there's a chart that kind of walks you through each of our lineups and which racket is kind of empowered control. I don't love those words, but it walks you through. So we do try to give some people some direction. I wish we did more. Um, something we're working on. I think I, uh, as I talked about earlier, I kind of grown into golf a little bit and it's been fascinating to see how much higher of a level they're operating at in terms of making sure the customers fit with the perfect place, get fitted. Hey, what tweaks we need to make here? How can we best help your game out? There's all this support behind the product and making sure that it fits the consumer. And so that's something that we're working on is making sure that we get the best racket for that person and not just throwing them out with an RF 97 when they're 67 years old and haven't been to the gym in 20 years, you know, yeah, it just doesn't, him. it doesn't work out. Um, so in terms of going back to kind of creating our lineups, we simplify it, but we also have a wide range of things that supply all player types. So as we go through it, you know, the, the one through four, one through this, I would say, is for that beginner intermediate player. Sevens can also be included in that as well. And then as we get to the eight, nines, and tens, we get up to our more advanced. And then we have different weights that go through all. So for our eight, we have our 285, which is for your more advanced junior. But also it could be for um, a club level lady that's set up four. 3.5 you know they can still enjoy it and i think that's one of the great things about our rackets is that for example carolyn nichols number one i believe she's number one itf senior player in the world she uses our v-cell four some might classify that as a beginner racket but she's out there competing against some of the top ladies in her division with a quote-unquote beginner racket and that i think goes to show that fitting people in the correct racket for their game style is so important and so that's what we're trying to do with our with our silos and our, our lines yeah i like this idea of, of the numbering as well because i think that it makes it like an easy chart to say hey this is for like you could tell the consumer like yeah from one to five this is usually in between there but obviously depending on the user case like some players these days especially as the trend is moving more tennis becoming faster there's more spin uh, that is it worked in the game because it, pretty much everyone is using polyester strings in some form, whether it's a hybrid or or a full bed. Uh, I think that's that having that clarity is very important because otherwise you get a bit lost in like what is the the light model, the team model, the this like these types of of um, wordings that are usually used. And I, I I do think that like people don't realize there you can take a very light racket 
and maybe you make a slight customization or you can even play with it in stock form. Like I, I've, I've played with some lighter rackets, just tweak them a little bit and they, they, they can play on high level. Like you can play against pretty high level players and play competitively with, with these lighter rackets. I think there's sometimes a, a, like a macho vibe that you, if you don't play with like a 300, you know, 20 gram unstrung racket, you're, you're not going to be cool with the other boys, you know, or in the, in the, or in the other elderly gentlemen, usually that's the case. So I think it's, it's, you have to get that away. And like, like you said, be open to try and say, Hey, okay, maybe try a 285 gram racket, see how that feels. If it feels pretty good, then you can maybe go for the heavier model. If you want more weight, you can add some weight and, and it always takes time to get used to it. So I, I think the point you made with the, with the custom fitting of, of golf, which is great. I think it's very important for the tennis industry to look at other industries and see what are they doing better than us and how can we use that? Like, I mean, some things are probably worse in other places, but, you know, look at the, the more the aspirational point of view and say, hey, golf, they have a great custom fitting idea. You know, it's a like big investment to buy a set of golf clubs. So they really give them like a, a you know, a proper, you know, opportunity to test the clubs maybe some data analytics with the testing phase as in some centers and it's a great way to make you feel confident that you made the right choice while in tennis like people order online they order one racket they try it for five minutes it might be off spec and then they they chuck it <laughs> or sell it and they go to the next one it becomes this endless cycle while you would ideally want them to go to a to a fitting center and then try like four models and, and analyze their swing and say, hey, you're actually hitting a little bit better with this model. You have more consistency. So uh, we recommend that. And then you can buy three rackets straight away and you have them for five years. You know, you're fine. You don't exactly. need to do it. But it's, uh, exactly. It's pretty, yeah. I, I, maybe there's a financial incentive in, in not doing it this way, but it seems a little bit illogical to me. So I, it's good that you at least like have numbered them and trying to, to hopefully, I think the brands will try to work more towards consumer oriented then then now it seems like more <laughs> sales oriented sometimes and and it's a bit of a problem yeah i mean my personal philosophy is that when you take care of the customer and when you provide a great service you get the sales in return so it's not chasing sales not it's not going after it hey what can we do for tennis players how can we make the best product for them and then how do we get these products in our in our customers' hands so that they have a fair chance of making a educated decision? You know, and I think that's another thing that's so great and why I became part of Vocal and a, a true believe in our product is I I was a Wilson guy for my entire childhood career, and I always had little little nicks, little arm pains, and I always felt and this isn't a dig at Wilson, kind of is, but back going back to the K-Factor line, great line, loved it, whatever. I felt like the materials being used, and you probably know more about this than me, but the materials being used, that, that arm pain started coming up a little bit more. And so when I switched over to vocal, all that went away. And I was I didn't quite understand why. I didn't understand the materials used behind it. I understand technology the way I do now. So it's been fascinating. And, and this goes back to just making sure that the customer is taken care of. If we use the best materials possible, like we do, and you give a racket that allows players 
to not have arm pain, to not go and say, ah, I can only hit for 30 minutes today because they don't feel good about their arm or they, they, whatever reason it is, um, in return, in regards to pain, um, I think, and then going to the higher level junior player, player like me is how are you feeling going into that third set or how are you going into that, that tie break, you know, does your arm feel good enough to hit? Cause I know many times I went to the kickster because my arm felt like crap. So when it comes to making sure that people get the right racket, it's also making sure that we fit the right materials in the racket to make sure that they give the best playing experience possible. And they're able to go out and play for as long as they want with no problems. So that's, that's another side of things that, I'm excited about doing with vocal. And I think that's one of the reasons why I feel that we can make a bigger impact on the market and, you know, help take care of more people and, and give them that, that personal customer service that we, we can provide. Yeah. Because there's more information out there. So I think like putting the product, I mean, obviously the consumer is always first, but then the, the product needs to be tailored around the consumer. So for example, you mentioned arm pain, and I think that's been a problem with with like some of the, I mean, pretty much all brands at some points, but there there were you know periods where like you mentioned the K factor that was a notoriously stiff racket, so I, like a lot of arms were hurting. I mean, I used to play with the six one ninety five, the K factor one. It's a great racket, but it's it is a pretty arm breaking frame, and and I'm not the only guy who says says that. So it's like yeah. It has really zero dampening in terms of, of like making sure the vibrations are filtered out somehow or, or the, your arm doesn't fall off. And back then people used to use like really high tensions as well. Like it used to be like, you know, 56 pounds on that 95 square inch head. So do you want to hear something funny? I, uh, when I was 12, I, didn't, I don't come from a tennis family and I was using, I was also living up at elevation. So it's changed things a little bit, but I was using a 93 K factor tour with I think it was RPM blast or hurricane or something like that in it. And I was 12. I, I was using 11.4 strung at strung at 56. I'd like to say something like that. And it was like, all right, I got down to Southern California and I, I felt my first real heavy ball. And I was like, all right, we, we might need to go up to the 98 here. Yeah, 93. That, I remember that racket. That was, uh, yeah, it's a small, which means also people should realize that like the small head size make off-center hits more, you know, prone to happen, which is going to be ba bad for your arm in, in a way. I mean, if you off hit off-center frequently, you're going to have more vibrations. So that, that's with every racket. So I think you, you have to realize that like, when you're playing with a 93, that's also very stiff. Like that racket was pretty stiff. Uh, you You... I mean, I, I used to play with the later one, the BLX 93, uh, also with like a, I think a vocal cyclone 1.30 oh, at like 50 something high pounds. And it was a brilliant racket. I had a leather, I had a vocal leather, leather, leather grip on it because I, I like it's more comfortable. It's a bit thicker, adds some weight, but it, it's actually yep. really comfortable leather grip. And I used to have that as a setup, but then like I got some wrist pain and I'm like, why can, how can this be like a 360 <laughs> gram racket with a small head size? And I was, uh, and a poly, you know, if I used maybe a multifilament, it would have been better, but, but it's, uh, people didn't realize what they were doing back then. I mean, we were quite early in the yeah. tennis, 
tennis technology. And now you have this um, REVA, the, the revolutionary EVA, which is the um, your kind of, um, I would say, handle dampening tech, right? That's what you're you're using in your rackets. And from what I, I talk to people, it seems to work pretty well. I haven't felt any problems. The, the models I've tried with my arm, uh, with Volkel. So um, that seems to work pretty well. Uh, what's your experience with the REVA? So probably my experience is I think that goes for everyone that tries out our rackets. So the RVA, that grip tech, grip dampening technology, essentially how it translates to the player and the consumer is how much vibration is coming through your arm and how much is that ball impacting your arm. And, you know, obviously there's technique involved with everything. So don't always blame the racket for why your arm hurts. I would say it's a mixture of both. So what we do and what we provide is we do the highest grade Japanese level carbon fiber. We have our RVA uh, grip dampening technology. We do specific butt caps. Everything is to make sure that you, the consumer, has the best playing experience with as little pain and as little vibrations coming through your body as possible. So, and I think that's one thing I also wanted to talk about was sometimes, and you can tell me your experience with vocal and how you've seen vocal in the past, but I think sometimes people see that as an arm friendly racket and they're like, Oh, it's not a player racket or I don't know. I, my, my mom uses that. And which nothing wrong with that. Your mom also probably uses a, Babylon pure drive sometimes so but you're you're willing to use that and i would also say that with this technology for the player side of things and this is something we've got back from our tour players as well something i touched on earlier with fatigue is if you can play for five hours and practice for five hours no problem and wake up the next day and practice for five hours no problem versus someone that's using a racket that's probably not great for them and giving them a lot of vibrations, having having them have arm issues, they can only practice for two. You're you're doubling your practice time. So something that we wanted to do with this technology was provide players an ability to play at extended periods of time without any issues. So that was one of the goals I think we achieved with this new technology. Yeah, I, I, I like it the way I've tried it. I mean, it's always a, a double-edged sword with every kind of dampening tech. If you add too much dampening tech, you might not feel the ball. But for most, like, maybe veteran players, players that need help, these kind of trampolining stuff, like if you get a more trampoline effect, I think you have some catapult effect. Grommets on yep. some rackets, you have the, the power arm on, on some rackets, which are more maybe veteran friendly or for players that have shorter swings i think it's super important for those players that that they use something that gives them any kind of help they can get over control so control and feel is not going to be their main uh, thing you know so when you go exactly. to a more player category you still need the comfort but obviously you, you also need to feel the ball so then that becomes more of an uh, of a thing so it, it depends really uh, where you are in the player spectrum that was, that's why it's so important to kind of cater for all players like you say yeah these rackets have this technology but not everyone can use kind of the power arm technology or the catapult grommets because they will go crazy because the ball is just you know flying more than they thought so i think 
I think that makes sense. I think my my feeling around Volkel is, is uh, I mean, I've been in the racket industry a while, but I'm I'm feeling more like it's 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 a, an iconic brand that I think I have not seen enough on on the tour really. Like that's probably why it it's it's not as well used as it was, uh, because obviously like you need deep pockets to keep funding pro players to to make sure you're seen. I think you still have a few. You're like pretty good high ranked players. And yep. the strategies can obviously be different, but I think that's sometimes an issue in tennis is that you need to pay some pros, whether they use your actual racket or not, that's not really important, sadly, but it's, it's more about you're paying them so that they actually hold your stencil in, in hand so that people actually go and buy that racket, whether it's the actual one or not. So I think, I don't know what your strategy is there and uh, and if you have any reasoning about it, but I, that's what I, I probably I haven't seen enough vocal in, in recent years, I would say. Yeah, well, we do sponsor pro players. I think right now we have around 40 in the top 500. That's I, I'll go back and check on those numbers. It might be around 35. Uh, still a, lot, lot, yeah. a lot of dubs, uh, top ladies dubs as well. So we do have a presence, I would say, you know, obviously we don't have that top 50 top. Yeah. That top 50 male singles player that might give us the, the views, I would say. It was one of the, the things with, with tennis nerd, I think was just illustrating what the pros use and giving the, the message that you don't need to play with that because that's works for him. You know, it doesn't matter if that's a retail model you can buy or not. I know that Wilson sold a bunch of RF97s and that's a great racket for Federer and maybe some other players, but it's more people bought it than need to use it. So there was a, a kind of a consumer information gap uh, that was just like marketing sometimes plays the game that doesn't really work for the consumer. You, you exactly. sell like products that are wrong for the consumer because the marketing is so good like generally good or something is is uh is appealing but it might still be the wrong decision so i, I think that it's that's pretty pretty good way of putting it and obviously if you ask any consumer would you rather use or we'd use our money for marketing than for um product quality any anyone would say product quality i mean everybody wants a good racket like that is generally what we're shopping for exactly um that's a great way to put it and that's kind of how we feel about it too. You know, if we can provide the best product for our consumers, like I said, I more often than not, we're going to be doing that. You being a marketing guy and you being in the industry, I'd love to pick your brain more about this is, you know, how, how would that translate to sales in your mind? Because if you lose some of that consumer base and you lose, hey, these rackets aren't doing quite what they used to for me. I'm getting a little bit more arm pain, but Hey, I see Yannick center using it. So I'm going to use it. Or is it, Hey, this isn't, these aren't working for me as much. I think I'm going to go try out the new Yonics or whatever, you know, you kind of lose some brand loyalty in my opinion. I think that's something that we actually have a, a really great, passionate fan base and, you know, and all the comments on, social media and whatnot. And that's something that we're going to be doing a lot more of and getting our, our branding out there a little bit more on that side of things as well. But on your videos as well, I noticed 
we have these great, these great fans, and these great people coming in the comment section saying, Hey, how much I love my racket. I used this company for 10 years, always had a little bit of pain, um, never quite felt comfortable on the court, switched to a vocal 10 years ago. I still love it just as much today. They, they do the best for me, whatnot. You know, those type of comments, those, that feedback and that brand loyalty, that's something that I think we're very proud of. Yeah, I think you can do a lot more with um, alternative marketing channels. I think generally, like if you look at marketing, you see that if you want to build big brands, yeah, you can go big. You need to go big budget and and push uh, you know, above the line, as, as you usually say, when there's like TV or, or event marketing. I mean, that would be sponsoring players in top 10. So when they show up in Grand Slams, you see the, the brand, but that's extremely expensive and sometimes risky because players get injured or or they may, might not have the trajectory that you hope he's going to have, like, or she's going to have as a player. Uh, but you can also use a lot more, uh, which I don't see a lot, to be honest, uh, and I should be the demographic for it. it, is kind of more Instagram ads, more talking about, we don't want you to buy more than three rackets in a 10-year span or something, because I you, you get the feeling with, racket brands overall is that the quality is so 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 uh, you obviously want people to buy more and more rackets so it's almost good that the consumer doesn't find their racket because then they can keep buying the next one and the next one and the next one and you're going to make more money you know and that's that's understandable uh, from a kind of capitalistic point of view but it may be not so consumer centric, right? Because you you ideally would say, hey, this product is so good that you don't want to play with anything else. You just want to stock up on this racket, which sometimes you see it. Like, I, I mean, I'm, you know, talk to a lot of uh, tennis nerds and tennis players of di- different levels and different, you know, um, years in the game. And the, the best review for anything is usually when they, they just stick to the one thing and don't, because it's fun to buy stuff. Like everybody knows it's fun to buy stuff. I, I think I spent like, an hour this morning looking at the latest e-ink devices because I was thinking of getting a new planner or like a kind like a planner slash Kindle thing and it's it's quite addictive and there's so many YouTubers and you can really get bogged down. We're all feeling that at Christmas time right now for sure. (laughs) I think it's a lot of a lot of um, kind of shopping or browsing around for for things to buy for themselves and for other people. So uh, I think there's definitely alternative ways getting back to rackets that that you can market it. And there's there's like potential now with the new media uh, and like influencers and, and stuff to to create something slightly different that is not reliant so much on on like Grand Slam viewership because obviously that's where you get a lot of views. But I think you can move around it, and I think you can have niche products. You can have boutique products. You see that everywhere. Like you know, you can create like a new tablet or a new thing. You know that that has its own demographic that is not Apple, that is not Windows, for example, if we talk about that world. Uh, but getting into uh, your your gear, so you do have that great uh, overview, which I which I really like, one to ten for the rackets. Uh, when it comes to strings, is that something you're you're trying to innovate and and work on? Or I mean, you have a a, a huge fan favorite, um, which I've used a lot, uh, called Vocal Cyclone, which is like a really solid polyester and a very good price for usually uh i think most people think that about it uh, but then you have other strings as well like what where is your um do you have any plans for new strings do you uh what do you see when the consumers buy rackets like in your strings how do you try to position the different strings and so on yeah uh i would say that that's actually something that i feel is somewhat undervalued about our company 
uh, we do make really quality strings and that's something as I've got on board last year, um, and was going through all the different strings is the quality behind it, especially our polys. You know, I was, I was with other companies and, you know, doing different strings my entire life and vocal, you know, Cyclone's been around for, I believe since 2000, the, going back to new technology, um, Cyclone has kind of withheld the test of time being that it was started in 2009. Um, so to go to your question about technology, our most recent has probably been the V square, which is in 2019, we developed that. It kind of has a, it is an actual square uh, string. And we've noticed that it's up the amount of spin people are going to get, and it's a little bit softer. So you get that bite and control that, you know, I don't think a lot of other, some, I mean, I can't lie. There's a lot of good strings out there as well. Um, but V square is definitely something that I've tended to go towards, but we have a wide range of multi-filaments, polyesters. It, I suggest people go out and try. Um, that's all I can say to that one. We, just like our rackets, we put a tremendous amount of time into developing them. We put a, a tremendous amount of time into making sure that we are giving you guys the best materials possible. So, you know, instead of going for that, whatever alu power that you're, that you're, that you've been using for a while, go try out some vocal strings, see how you like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you have quality good. strings for sure. I mean, the, the V torque tour is another good string. Uh, so, so I do know like the strings were, were kind of the first product I, I got into because I, I used Cyclone quite regularly some years back, you know, and it's a great polyester, uh, but I also tried a few others and they're, they're, they're really good strings. I hope to review some of them in the future uh, as well, because I, I do know it's, it's quality and, and the string market is the one thing that it's like really have grown because now it's easier to get into, I think for smaller brands to try to do their own strings or they made in the same factory so they can put like a, their own logo label on it, but it's actually a string that could have been any brand's string. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think extra attention to detail and quality is, is very important because like I usually say, I mean, the string is as important as the racket. Like the string and the tension will determine your experience of playing, whether it's for arm pain or whether it's how much control or how much uh, spin you can get on the ball uh, will de help determine like how it feels and how it plays. Like it's the string is, is uh, I would say 50%. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and going back to what we kind of done in the past and, you know, with Cyclone being, being kind of our staple, I would say it has brought people to us, but we also have not upped the price because of that. We, you know, going back to this consumer model that we have is how can we continue to provide the best string for the best cost, you know? Um, so Going to our other string models, we have our V Pro, which I like to talk about a lot because that's kind of our Alu Power uh, competitor, I would say. And that string for me does better than Alu Power, lasts longer, holds tension. And that's one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about is how rackets hold tension. And that's one of the reasons why Lexalon is good, but it's also bad as it loses tension really fast. 
I hate to be calling out brands here, but it's true. No, but it's it's, it's an iconic uh, string and, and used by by many. But it's like I think the point is, which is good, is that it, I haven't tried V Pro, uh, but but I would be keen to do it. But it it seems like um, people like the brand is so important that people don't try other strings. And there's a uh, many many other strings out there. Exactly, and some you know a lot of times people don't also they don't change out their string for six eight months. You know just because you don't break your string doesn't mean that you shouldn't be changing out your string. Um, that's one of the things that's sometimes something that we need to translate. I think as the tennis industry is translating to people is, Hey, your string's been in your racket for six months here. You know, it's time, it's time to, to, you know, it's probably at like a 20 pound tension or something. Let's, let's get you, re-strung and you're going to have a better playing experience and uh you know that's something strings strings and rackets go into playing experience and i think with this new market that we're in where everyone's talking about padel and pickleball and whatnot it's like all right asking yourself why why are those things becoming popular and over tennis in some ways and it's goes back to playing experience yeah because i think like the simplicity is sometimes uh people are like they have limited time i mean some people are just in not great physical condition and tennis is a very demanding <laughs> very much, game. Very true, very true. yeah yeah so i think that that is part of it but i think simplicity is important and sometimes the the jungle of tennis equipment knowing your string like i mean f- like you said like if, if you're a connoisseur and if you like to dive deep into stuff Tennis is great because you you can improve endlessly. You can work on one stroke. You can play doubles and singles. Uh, you can try different tensions and different rackets. And it's like it's just just very uh, a good sport for nerding into the sport. I mean, obviously there there's depth into puddle and and pickleball as well, but it's not really as deep. But I think the simplicity of play is what draws people. Besides the the lack of of having to move, but it's it's easy to get going. The racket doesn't have any strings. You don't have to think about that. You have to string the racket. You just buy a, a bat or a paddle, and then you you just play, right? It's so easy. And I think that, you know, we, we could make that as tennis, as a tennis industry, we could make that uh, welcome to tennis a little bit easier, you know, and say, hey, you know, this is like, you can get going, this setup, blah, 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 or have more more kind of an engaging way to start playing tennis. Cause sometimes I feel like it's just like you get some lame coach who's really tired, who's played too many hours of tennis and they just feed you some balls and they don't say anything. They have no energy left because they try to become a pro and now they're not anymore. That was exactly. 15 years ago. And the energy is, is dead. Like you need energy, you know, whatever you go. And when our sport is up on its like it's booming it's growing then people have energy i mean that's going to diminish at some point even for pickleball or or paddle but but at this time with tennis is a little bit more tired uh, and people in tennis can be a little bit more tired than i think the the other sports uh, do are you also doing products for them or or no you you're sticking with tennis no? we do have uh padel products over in europe uh so we actually have you should have some where you are uh we're looking to bring that to america soon yeah, yeah. And, and pickleball so is huge there, in the but... States, I guess. I mean, do, do you have any courts left in California? <laughs> oh, don't, 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 don't remind me there. It's brutal. <laughs> uh, just about every single tennis facility has taken out, let's say they have eight courts, probably taken yeah. out three, three oh, wow. pickleball. That's crazy. Three or four in some cases. I know one club 
took out just about all their tennis. So it's a, it's a battle over here. Uh, that's great. That, that's, that's, that, then I can understand because sometimes you see the, I mean, I, I was a little bit on the fence with paddling in Europe uh, because that is our, our kind of the relation to like with pickleball. We don't have much here. I, I played pickleball in Malta, but I, it's not really big in Europe because we have paddle. But we've seen the same situation in some clubs, like you, but but usually you don't have it as drastic as in the States. But you see that okay, now we had a clay court and now instead we have three paddle courts because you can squeeze in more courts, you get yeah. more players, uh, you sell more court time and you make more money. So it becomes like a money game as well. Like and then it gets hard to beat. You can't it's hard to beat the the system, really, in a way. You exactly. Know? No, it's uh it's a good point you're bringing up. And I think yes it's new yes it has a lot of boom behind it um i think like you said there is less of a deep dive into it that you can get into tennis i think in a lot of ways that's what keeps people around is how deep into a sport you can go but from our side of things just being in the tennis industry is and this goes back to putting people in the right racket and like you said, having something that they can be like, all right, this is a quality racket. Here you go. No, you know, it's ready. It's ready to right out of the box. So, and for that, we did our team speed. I don't know if you have seen those. We have like a team speed model mm -hmm. and those are great. They come pre-strung. Um, and so I think, I think other brands do that as well for some of their juniors, but having that more for adults that they can go into. Um, I will say though, is that, going back into like creating the consumer experience it's like yes people are interested they go out they get a racket that was suggested for them for well first off it's a commitment um it's a certain level of commitment you know if you demo and not all stores demo and all people know you can demo um so they go and buy a 200 dollars racket or something and store shop owner not well educated in some ways you know they say hey this is our products you go in and you kind of just pick one out hey is this one good for me and they go they look at it and they're like yeah you know it could be good uh, we, how whatever they don't really do much they're like they're trying to push that push those sales and you know i understand that they're trying to run a business but let's say 20 year old girl walks in right then and there we have the opportunity to have make her be a tennis fan for life and tennis player for life or we have a chance to lose her to whatever same with 20 year old guy who knows but if you go in and you give i don't know what a great racket would be that would be bad let's say you give her c10 pro not to put us in a bad light here but you go and give her c10 pro rf97 head prestige whatever they go out they, they try it one time maybe two times maybe three times like ah, my arm hurts i don't know this isn't for me then they go to pickleball and it's like oh i mean just tap it here and yeah i agree i think uh, that like the the arm pain in terms of um beginner journey and like i i think tennis loses quite a few players due to tennis elbow that I, I don't know. I think it's it's pretty much non-existent in pickleball. Instead, you get tinnitus from the ugly sound. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but it, it's I don't think it's like an arm problem sport. I know paddle is a little bit of an arm problem sport. I see a lot of like elbow braces, although um, you know in in the paddle. Uh, but but still, tennis can be. 
the right equipment can make a difference. I also think like getting into a community uh, and, and playing some matches early, like being able to say, hey, you're in this group. We have great fun. We're doing like weekly tournaments or a weekly like, you know, round uh, blah, 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 mix in round robin tournament or whatever. I think that creates more of that community that people want with sports. And sometimes tennis becomes this lonely activity where you just go to your coach who's an alcoholic and uh, who's not... <laughs> And who's not so inspired and I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it, it's like you not get sure. into this, unless the coach is great, I think it might be a, a detractor, you know, you feel, it feels a bit lonely tennis and, and we need to work better as a, as a sport in, in this community aspect of like creating more tournaments. I know some countries uh, do it well, but I think we can all do it a bit better overall. Uh, so I think that's something to uh, to be said for that, for example, for sure. And you said, um, you know, golf is quite interesting because golf is a, it's quite a difficult sport. I, I used to play golf. I, I still like go to the range here. Uh, so it's a beautiful place for golf. And I want to kind of pick it up again. Uh, but that's not an easy sport. Like that's, uh, but it seems to still be like growing. I'm not, not maybe growing as a sport, but at least staying solid, I would say. Uh, what's what's the feeling around golf in, in the US? Is it still like alive and kicking or do you feel like there's a diminished diminished uh, group of, of golfers out there well i think to answer your question i would say to first start golf golf is growing um i think they've seen a lot of numbers but most importantly is they've seen it in the younger generation and i think something that is great with golf even though it's very hard one thing is that they have embraced it being hard I think there is a culture of embracing it being hard. There's no expectations of thinking you can go out there and be Tiger Woods the first day. And I think that's something that we as a tennis industry can also do a little bit better job of is saying, Hey, it's okay to be bad or it's okay to be getting better. Uh, it's fun. We're still having fun out here. You know, how many times I've seen guys shank a ball 10 yards to the, you know, and barely touch it and they're laugh about it buddies give them a hard time and it's okay. Um, and that goes back to the community that you were talking about. I think continuing to create a, a community around tennis and having people come and be a part of a group, you know, how many guys, you know, that have a golf group that they go out with, you know, and they spend time and they have fun, even though they all are not the best, um, they can still go out and have fun. And I think with tennis, it does get a little bit lonely, even though you might have some friends that you play with once a week, but then you're out there alone. And uh, it, it, I would say going back to the golf thing as well is they have done a great job. And this is, this goes back to the players itself is building up that alternative media. So there's brands like YouTube channels, like uh, good, good, Bob does sports, you know, there's a whole bunch of various YouTube channels that get millions of views per week promoting golf and creating great content. You know, that's something that I, I like that you do is, you know, you're putting out content about tennis and you're getting people interested about tennis. It's something they can turn on at night, have it be on their mind. You know, they can get into it a little bit deeper, uh, get some pointers, get some information and enjoy it. And so, that's something that we as a tennis community, I feel like can be doing a lot better is creating fun content on these alternative media platforms. You know, if you go on TikTok, which is super popular these days, and you type in golf, 
you get tons of content. All these creators are doing really fun stuff, trick shots, having fun with it. If you type in tennis, you might get some. I would say you don't get much. And it's not getting as many views. It's not, it's, it's just not at the level that golf is doing in that sense. Um, so I think that's something that we, you know, as a tennis company, uh, it's a good question is like, how much effort do you put in that and how much, or is that just on the tennis community itself to have creators like you or whoever doing fun content for people to watch and get people excited about the game. You know, one of the things in golf that they do so well is they always say, you know, grow the game. Everything's to grow the game. And I think tennis has become stagnant in saying we're not growing the game, you know, not, we're not growing the game. I, of course you do hear it in sometimes some places, but it's not this consistent focus of, Hey, how can we grow the game? How can we make it better for people? Um, that's one of the things that, as I've grown into the golf world um, and played a couple of tournaments and, you know, been, been around that, there is that, and it goes back to community relationships, building that everyone's having fun. It, it's, you're there to have fun. You're there to enjoy, but then you're there to compete. But at the end of the day, you are building that community. And I can't tell you how many times in in uh growing up as being a junior tennis player especially here in socal where things are pretty rough uh i would go to a tournament i wouldn't talk to anybody no one's talking to anyone else and you go you play a match you win or lose and then you leave and then you show up the next day you win or lose and there there's not this uh this sense of community that you just talked about, which I feel is so important that we're, we're missing in tennis. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great point of view. And I think that is something that we have to solve as a community. And I, I really believe in the golf slogan in that sense. And I think it's something tennis needs to uh, shoulder because it's like grow the game is a, a joint uh, kind of credo where you have like, we are all in it because we love this game. And I feel it also in golf. Like I feel it with golfers. It doesn't matter if you're a complete beginner or you're Tiger Woods. It, it You feel it like around golfers. Like it's like you play around. Someone is very bad. Someone is doing a great round. But you have a, like a beer afterwards, discuss the game or lunch or whatever. And it's just like a social interaction and a, like kind of a beautiful way to get together, you know, in nature as well, which is good. Tennis has all the elements of being like a super sport and it's one of the biggest sport in the world still. But I think sometimes the, the competitiveness where it feels like it's like UFC on all levels, yeah, which, which is a problem. Like, cause I, I'm playing this ITF uh, masters, which is the, the new name for the old seniors. And like in, in some of the tournaments, the social aspect is pretty decent, but like with some players who used to play maybe futures, they go out and they want to kill you. Like they, they, it's not like a friendly feeling match, you know, even if, if you're not winning any prize money, it's like just ranking points. And people have this feeling that they, they, you know, have to call the lines, double check. You're not cheating. You know, it's like this thing. I hopefully we can, we can try to get away from, because I, I mean, it should be more of a, a community and a more of a happy place where Very much so. it's not so bad to lose. Like I feel like tennis players, their egos get too big and then like you, you losing in tennis is so painful that nobody wants to lose. 
while in golf, like if you have a shit round, it's not the end of the world, you know, you just go and move on. Exactly. And that's also another thing, you know, as I, and this is something I'm sure that you went through being a player is when you stop playing, you go through a little bit of a, a loss of identity. Uh, you know, I'm not playing tennis for six hours a day, uh, you know, like who am I as a, you know, so one of the things that I did, I was always an athlete. I always played baseball. So I feel like that was very important for me. And that's what made uh, tennis some in some ways tough is because there wasn't that team aspect. There wasn't, there wasn't people behind you, but I would say as I, so as I left tennis, I was trying out all these different sports again, you know, like, what do I do with all this time? Uh, even though I was working still, um, and you, you brought up the UFC and I was, I got into it. I was a little bit of a fan. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go try it out. Um, I'll, so I'll do jujitsu and I'll do, I think I did Muay Thai, just a touch, but mostly jujitsu. And it was fascinating to me. Here you have this high level thing that you're going hundred percent at someone. You're trying to choke them out, break their arms, do this, whatnot. And whether you win or lose respect, everything is, Hey, great round, bro. Let's, let's go hang out after there's no ego there. And there's, everyone is there to get better. And you're everyone in the gym is trying to help each other everyone's trying to help each other out and get better. And if you get choked out, you get choked out, boom, restart, go at it again. And there's that, once again, we talk about community and in tennis, it's like, and I thought this was uh, fun when I was playing in Spain. It was such a weird thing on the, um, the money tournaments, the circuits down here, you go play a match, you go to war with a guy and you go get a Coke after every single time winner buys or whatever it is. I couldn't talk to anybody. <laughs> so it was just an awkward coke, but it's, I thought that was always nice here. There's nothing. You, you go beat a guy, you go lose a guy more often than not, they're mad at you or you're mad at them. And it doesn't, it doesn't brew for success. And then people hold grudges into adulthood. So when they do have time to go and create more opportunities for the game, they're like, ah, Jerry, Jerry was an a-hole to me back in the day. Uh, he beat me one time and he cheated me. And so we, we won't talk to him or I, I hear that all the time and it's crazy. So going back to this point that you brought up, that was great, which is just the importance of building community in tennis. And, you know, something I get out of today out of the listeners is kind of drop that ego you know, everyone's here to, we're all here to grow the game. We all love this game. And, you know, how can we do it better for people? I think that's a great way to, um, to end our little podcast. I think that the lesson is like, you know, consumer centric and tennis centric. That's really what we get out of this. It's like, okay, we have to make tennis better. And, uh, if you can do it through a brand like Volkel, that's great, but we also need all of us out there to grow the game in our own way and, and help players, new players get into tennis play with players uh, and and just create a nice atmosphere around the courts where we play. And we can always try to improve and not be so such sore losers. <laughs> exactly. And it's better to do it with a vocal in your hands. <laughs> That's great. Thanks a lot for your time, Nick. I really enjoyed it. Good luck hey, on your adventures. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you.